Just a quick note before you listen to this episode dedicated to one of my favorite cities, New Orleans, Louisiana. I wanted to remind you that you can hear the entire interview with this episode's paranormal expert and more bonus content by becoming a Patreon supporter of Phantom History at phantomhistory.com. Thank you and enjoy the episode. When the young man joked that he needed a good scare to rid him of his hiccups, he undoubtedly didn't mean to summon something that would terrify everyone within the house nestled deep within the French Quarter of New Orleans that late evening. The man knew that the Starling Magical Occult Shop and home sitting at 1022 Royal Street was allegedly haunted, and that likely prompted him to make the unusual request. Within moments of making his comment, the other three people in the room saw a dark figure rise along the wall, make a movement toward them, and then fly into the air before disappearing completely. The entity, if that's what it was, appeared so clearly that Michael Bill, the host of the evening and a well-known paranormal investigator in the city, thought someone had broken into the home. After the sighting, Michael felt a cold hand move down his back. It was the most frightened the seasoned investigator says he has ever been. That's when he knew it was time for everyone to exit the building. I'm Steve Blanchard. Welcome to Phantom History. Built in the early 20th century, if not earlier, the building that now sits at 1022 Royal Street is the home to Starling Magical Occult Shop, New Orleans' oldest all-practice occult shop. Paranormal investigator and local historian Michael Bill has investigated the property for paranormal activity countless times, and he says the location is one of New Orleans' most haunted sites. The city is notorious for ghost stories, vampires, and all things occult. The unique design of the city and its, well, difficult history lends itself to urban legends, stories of haunted locations, and ghost tours that wander through the French Quarter nightly. Michael Bill is one of those tour guides, but he says his experience both as an academic in the area and as a paranormal investigator have helped him separate fact from fiction within the popular city. He explains. It's just, it is an amazing, magical city. Start diving into the history of these people's lives. If goes real, then they had to have a history. And there's a place called the Williams Center. It's uh, probably about four blocks from here, and it's our archives, and it has all the pa- newspapers and all the artifacts there. I spent a lot of my time there <laughs> the first four years of my career and studying about the housing, the, the architecture, and things of that nature, and the people. Today, people from throughout the country and the world visit and then settle in New Orleans. But the roots of the history of the city go very deep and reach into many different cultures. Those cultures are what define the feel of the city, according to Michael, and the history behind it could explain why so many believe New Orleans is so paranormally active. We're uh, 304 years old, and it all started with a man named LaSalle came out of what is down the Ohio River and came down and landed all the way at the end of the Mississippi River. Mississippi meets the Gulf. We claimed everything from the Gulf all the way up to Canada for Louis XIV. Now, LaSalle died. He was shot by his own men. 
and two brothers came, Iberville and Bienville. Um, one came by Lake Iberville. He named it Lake Pontchartrain after a benefactor, and his brother, the younger of the two, um, Bienville, came by way of river. And about three blocks from here is where the Oxbow is, or what we call the Crescent. Right there is at the widest part of the Mississippi. It's perfect for a port. The French wanted to, to control commerce going up and down the Mississippi. With that control of commerce came control of the people. New Orleans was at first the home of Native Americans, of course, before it was claimed for the French crown by explorer Robert Cavalier in 1682. New Orleans was founded by Jean-Baptiste in 1718 and was populated mostly by enslaved people, Native Americans, and prisoners, which laid the groundwork for a difficult beginning and a whole lot of death. We had uh, just so much death here, and just in the beginning. And all the plagues that we had, I mean, yellow fever was terrible here. It struck every summer. And where Jackson Square is, that used to be called Plaza Arms. That was the place of execution. But in 1788, under Spanish rule, a fire broke out at the secretary's house, Vincent Nunez, and it destroyed 856 homes out of 1,100. And it killed, not the fire, but disease, starvation and exposure, killed about a quarter of the population. Hurricanes have also been a major contributor to the centuries-long death rate of the Crescent City. But it wasn't only weather, accidents, epidemics, and pandemics that swept through the city and caused so much death. Much of the death was forced upon residents by the governing bodies of the time. And then, of course, all those people died in Jackson Square now, but it also was a place of our executions. Uh, they said, you know, break people on the wheel, hang people, <laughs> draw and quarter them. And they did it for fun, you know, for entertainment and for our public punishment. So we have, we have a lot of death here in the very beginning. With a history such as that, it's no wonder ghost stories are around every corner of New Orleans. Several hotels, bed and breakfasts, restaurants that were former boarding schools, and even churches are reportedly haunted in this city. Michael has investigated many of those locations and remains convinced that the building in which he recorded this episode of the podcast, 1022 Royal Street, remains one of the most haunted locations in the city. He has several theories as to why that may be, and some evidence, he says, to back it up. This at one time was the home of Grand Jean Lafitte. It was a hospital at one time. Not the kind where doctors are running around screaming, stat, 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 but, you know, you get your foot stepped on by a mule, then bring you back, you'll give some ether and cut it off. Live with a lame foot. This place is really haunted because I believe Miss Claudia is a voodoo priestess, and in voodoo, they welcome the spirits and, you know, the Loas, the Orishas, and the dead. I think they just stay because they feel welcome, you know. It's almost like they, these, we have five residential spirits here, so... I believe they stay, stay here because they just feel welcome, you know. We call them the residents. They never leave. If they do, you know, we don't know it. We're like a spiritual sanctuary almost. Like sometimes spirits will come in, we'll talk to them, and they'll disappear. We'll never hear from them again. And Michael has interacted with all of the resident spirits of the home and says they are mostly friendly. However, there was one encounter that frightened him so badly that he, his partner, and another couple 
had to leave the building. We were upstairs. There's two couples here. We were sitting on the bed, myself and Elaine and the, and the girlfriend. And the boyfriend was walking around the kitchen. He had the hiccups. He was like, kind of scared my hiccups away. I've never seen anything like this before or since then. It was not a shadow on the wall. It looked like someone stood up behind him. And I thought someone had broken into the house. And uh, I mean, it looked like a black figure. And uh, I was like, dude, watch out. And he jumped towards me. And when he did, it flew up into the corner. We flew up, turned our flashlights up there. There was nothing there. I said, did you see it? He goes, no. I felt a hand go down my back, a cold hand. And we got the hell out of here. That was the, that was probably the most intense thing that ever happened to me in this house. And while this experience was visually intense for Michael and his friends, he says that same spirit, who resides on the second level of the building, has a dark energy connected to it, and it makes itself known in many other violent ways. You know, we would hear growling coming from the fireplace, scratching coming from inside the closet, you know, stuff coming out of a box that's flying out, and just weird stuff. It's really weird, heavy, heavy. He doesn't like us. <laughs> so we call him Philip. He calls people to have headaches, and he's a very intense spirit. Michael said that he and his team of paranormal investigators have communicated with the spirit they call Philip, and he says it tried to identify himself as a demon. Michael has his doubts since demons don't typically share their identities, he said. It's also believed that another dark spirit, or perhaps the same spirit that they call Philip, resides in a different part of the second level and calls itself Kurt. That entity appears as a dark figure in the bathtub and has often tried to communicate there. Fortunately, however, not every spirit at 1022 Royal Street seems to be malevolent. Others just seem lost or in search of answers, according to Michael. Chloe was an enslaved person. She was 12 when she died. She drowned in the cistern. We tried to get her to cross over. She tells us that her family won't know her. And it was her mom that was here with her, is what she says. Now, this is over many, many sessions that we got this information. And we have no actually written documents for an enslaved girl named Chloe here because um, they didn't keep really good records of enslaved people here in New Orleans, other than bills of sale. You know, we know her favorite food is chocolate, and she likes the color yellow. One night we had a yellow ball and a green ball, and nothing had happened all night long. And we really wanted something to happen. I said, Chloe, pass me the yellow ball. And all of a sudden, it started to move. And I bring it to me, and it rolled directly to me. And, every, and I put it back in the middle of the room. And every person that asked for it, it rolled straight to them. So it was like, <laughs> it's so intelligent. It was so weird. Because the young girl drowned in the cistern in the home's courtyard, She's often spotted in that area. Numerous EVPs, or electronic voice phenomena, have captured the sound of a young girl singing. Others have caught wispy images of a young girl with their camera. Even though there is no official documentation of Chloe's existence, Michael believes she is real and that she's a very powerful spirit, despite having died at such a young age. I believe that she's in control here. And something bad starts to happen, we feel negative feelings, we call them, say, come play with this, Chloe, and it kind of flips the script, you know, things go from, from negative to positive. 
So I believe that she's some form of control. She seems to chase away negative energy. Maybe it's just her positive vibe. I mean, countless people have seen her videotaped her. I've seen her, Elaine's seen her. She really appears more like a, kind of like a puff of smoke. Like, and we'll be on one side and she'll be looking around the corner and people are taking photographs. If Chloe is in charge, she definitely has her hands full. According to Michael, the home at 1022 Royal Street has its five resident spirits, including Chloe, Philip the so-called demon, Kurt in the upstairs restroom, and two other male spirits called Johnny and Samuel. Interestingly, only one of the spirits is likely connected to a death at the address back when it was a medical clinic. The other, investigators think, may not have visited the address in life, but may have wandered there because it knew it could communicate with the residents there. In the courtyard, in the back courtyard, there's a uh, spirit called Johnny. And we do know for a fact that John Salazar was stabbed uh, in the 1800s over on uh, St. Philip and Royal. At that time, this place was a little mini hospital, kind of like an urgent care. And he made it all the way to the gates and he expired. Now the paper never said who stabbed him. That was like a murder that happened here. But some of the spirits here just really, they're sad and some have never ever been to this property before. And, uh, but they say in one certain area is the only place that can be hurt. I had a medium one night. She came downstairs and said that she'd been speaking to a man. His name was Samuel. And he didn't die here, but he died on in a property surrounding neighborhood in a house fire. And specifically, he'd come over to be crossed over by the priestess. And five years ago, it was printed up in the paper, and there it was. Uh, artists had gone into a derelict Katrina home. It was cold that night, set fire to the house by accident. In an old city like New Orleans, at least old by U.S. standards, it's not uncommon to feel the presence of a historic figure from centuries earlier. But Michael is quick to point out that it's not just those older or ancient spirits who are still walking through the French Quarter, and it's not just stories about a mysterious lady in white or a Victorian-era spirit that gets the attention of visitors and investigators alike. No, the spirit world presents many more apparitions than one would expect, and for the most part, the spirits Michael has met connect to the local historic record. You know, when we do an investigation, we start in archives. That's the first place we start. We start with the Bucharest Digital Survey and see who on the property, see if, if what stories match up with the history. That's what we do, you know, because if something's not matching up, someone's full of shit. We try to find the correct history and match that up with the spirit, and it's not. Something else is going on. That's why investigators are so certain about the identities of at least most of the spirits who have made their presence known at 1022 Royal Street. But Michael spends a lot of his time outside of this haunted building. In fact, He takes tours throughout the quarter and makes multiple stops at allegedly haunted locations throughout the entire city of New Orleans. But sometimes, even when he's not leading a tour or doing his own investigation, he's aware of the spirits that are nearby. In fact, just around the corner from 1022 Royal is the Andrew Jackson Hotel, a building Michael says is likely the most haunted hotel he has ever stepped foot in and he walks past it every day on his way to work. 
at one time it, in 1700, 1794, it had been a um, a boys' school. Right after the fire of 1794, it was torn down because of a hurricane. Kids would die of all kinds. We saw so many records of kids dying, you know, fever. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. We did find that some children in the records, in the, uh, church records, we found that some boys did die there. And so that does make sense. And those little boys are doing tricks. I don't really care for kids' spirits <laughs> that much, but I start to see them as almost like living people. You know, whenever I pass Andrew Jackson and I'm going to work, I'm like, boys, you know, I'll say hello to them. So I live right around the corner. We hosted a ghost hunt there and we're supposed to be in the most haunted room, 208. And I was like, well, let's just do a spirit box session. She turned it on and she goes, are there any teachers here? And we heard, come and find us. Where are you? We don't know where you are. Can you give us a hint? All of a sudden we heard, the back house, and I have that on tape or on video. I believe it's active when they want it to be active. And that philosophy is in place for most haunted locations, Michael believes. He is, after all, an authority on all things historic and haunted in the city of New Orleans. But he stresses that while the paranormal investigations get most of the spotlight in television shows and specials that air around Halloween, it's the history behind the authentic ghost stories that lead him and so many others to believe that New Orleans is among the most haunted cities in the continental United States. And with a history as unconventional and often as unpleasant as the Crescent cities, hauntings, he believes, are inevitable. And it takes patience and time to uncover that truth. Our history here sometimes is like the buildings. There's a facade in front of it. It's just the ugly brick behind it. <laughs> you know, it's just plaster covering up the ugly brick. A lot of this stuff is just a facade. But some of it's real. And that's why I like to tell people when they come on my tour, it's the real stuff. And uh, sometimes it's not pleasant. Life is not always pleasant, is it? Realness is not always pleasant. It's just, it's very haunted. I don't want people to think that they're just going to, that, that we just come here and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. You know, it's not like that. Investigation takes time, it takes will, and it takes respect and communication. That's what we do here, is we communicate with the dead. If you would like to hear the entire interview with Michael Bill, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter of Phantom History at phantomhistory.com, where you can access bonus content, including this full interview. You can also connect with the podcast and me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Thank you to Michael Bill for the unique look at New Orleans and for sharing his stories about his favorite city and locations. To connect with Michael and his team for a tour of Haunted New Orleans, find him on Facebook under the name Michael Bill Ghost Hunter ITC Medium. Music for this episode is provided by Silverman Sound Studios and Purple Planet Music. As always, thank you for listening.